Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 475. What are some things that people that cruise all the time would tell you if they could about going on your first cruise today? I've got a list of things that I think they would tell you. Here we go. In the course of working on RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, I talk to a lot of different people online, in person, on cruise ships. It really varies. But in a lot of cases, I'm talking to either people that are obviously new cruisers or people that have cruised a lot. And when we talk about the things that they think about a lot when it comes to booking a cruise and planning a cruise, I certainly get all sorts of questions and concerns. But with first-time cruisers, it seems like, for obvious reasons, they have a lot more questions than people that have cruised a lot do. And a lot of the times, these questions are based on the whole, you know, cruise planning process, what to expect, and things of that nature. And it makes total sense. They're brand new to cruising. They want to know what is going to likely happen while on their cruise and plan accordingly for it. And most of the questions they have as a first-time cruiser are totally legit, like no issues. I can totally see why they think what they think. But sometimes there are questions and concerns that kind of come up and you, you scratch your head as a experienced cruiser say, listen, don't worry about it or it's not as bad as you think or something along those lines. But I often think about as a experienced cruiser, you know, what are those sort of things I would tell a first-time cruiser that they, you know, should know about going on a cruise that they won't know unless they actually cruise at least a couple of times. This is like one of those conversations you'd have with yourself. If you could go back in time and tell yourself how things would go and you would only trust yourself to tell you these kinds of things. Kind of like, you know, if you ever go back in time and give yourself dating advice, like you wouldn't take that kind of advice from anybody except for yourself. Cause you'd literally go back in time and say, Hey, this is what you should have done in this situation or investment advice or a variety of other things. And when it comes to how you cruise, I really feel like experienced cruisers cruise differently than new cruisers beyond the very, very obvious aspects of it. I think your taste will evolve over time. And I really thought about five things about going on a cruise that after you take a couple of sailings, your outlook on the experience does change. And I wanted to outline them here today, starting with number one, and that is you're going to be less picky in choosing a cruise to book. I remember when I first started cruising, man, it looked like a NORAD uh, uh, command center when it came to picking a cruise, we would have all these options. We would spend weeks and months agonizing over which sailing, which ship, which itinerary. I mean, it was a really in-depth process because back then we were taking a cruise like once in a blue moon, not even once a year. This was like, you know, once every couple of years. And so when it came up, it was a really big decision. Do we go for the newest ship? Do we go for a new itinerary? Do we go, you know, whatever the case may be, we spent a lot of time in picking it out. Nowadays, being that we've cruised a lot, the decision on which cruise to book is really arbitrary. I mean, we don't spend a lot of time hemming and hawing about what we're going to pick. Part of that is because we've been there, done that. I think to some extent, yes, you do become a little bit jaded when you cruise a lot. It's not a bad thing. I know when you say, oh, you're jaded, that that's a negative connotation. I think in this situation, it's more like because you've cruised often enough, you're not nearly as discerning and you're not nearly as worried about it being an amazing cruise because whether or not it is a great cruise or an amazing cruise or just an okay cruise, there's going to be others after that. So it's not like you put all your eggs in one basket and that kind of a thought process is hard to get around. Now, would that actually change how a first timer books their cruise? This was actually a more interesting follow-up question that I noted because I thought to myself, well, I definitely don't nearly spend as much time planning a cruise, but if this were my first cruise, would I really recommend they change anything? Would I just say, oh, just, you know, flip through the website, reload it, and pick the first sailing that comes your way? Probably not. I don't think that's still prudent. I think this is just the reality 
of when you cruise a lot. After a couple of sailings, I think your decision-making process evolves and really reduces to maybe just, oh, there's a new ship. Oh, there's a new port. I need just need to get away. And this is the only four-night sailing that works for me. That kind of a thing. Uh, I really feel like that process does change as you cruise more. Number two, crew members are super important. This is something that I'm not even talking about, like, you know, they're, they're nice people and you should be respectful of them. I'm not even talking about that, which you absolutely should, by the way. This is about the important role that crew members play beyond just the, hey, can I have another glass of water kind of situation. When you cruise a lot, you're going to experience a lot of different crew members along the way. And in that process, you're going to run into some real superstar crew members. These are the ones that maybe they remember your name. Maybe they remember your order. Maybe they go the extra mile. But these are the kind of crew members that really stand out from the pack. Royal Caribbean has a great complement of crew members on board. And I have rarely run into any kind of crew member that has really been anything other than really great at what they do. But there are definitely a handful that are superstars, rock stars. They are just the best of the best, and they stand out for that reason. And there, I've even gone as far to say that sometimes we will pick a ship or we will pick a venue to go to because we know a certain crew member is working there. Now, when you're first cruising, when you're first starting out, the crew members are pretty much a dime a dozen in the sense that you're not going to pay quite that close attention to it. You're brand new to the whole process. It's all kind of new to you. So you wouldn't necessarily have the experience to know who the rock stars are. That's not entirely true, of course, because, of course, somebody who really goes the extra mile, I think you're going to notice whether it's your first cruise or your 10th cruise. But I think as an experienced cruiser, you really pay more attention to who are the amazing crew members that are out there. And I know a lot of cruisers who cruise all the time who will literally choose the ship they sail on based on if this crew member is on there or not, for that matter. And so... I think it's really important as you cruise more often, you're going to realize that the really good crew members make a difference in your cruise experience. Again, maybe they make your life easier, more enjoyable, or they just simply have a smile for you. Regardless of that fact, that personal touch really makes a difference. And when you're first sailing, again, I don't know that you'll really notice it, uh, but I really do believe as you cruise more often, this is, again, the evolution of the cruise experience for an experienced cruiser. Number three, you won't worry really about getting seasick, nearly as much anyway. I still get seasick every now and then, but it's really a very minor concern for me. A lot of first-time cruisers, I would say, if we had a list, let me back this up for a second. If if you had to write down your top, I don't know, five or ten concerns you have about going on a cruise, I think if you were a first-time cruiser, getting seasick would make the list in a much higher spot than if you had cruised at least, you know, ten times or so. And the reason being is repeat cruisers know that Yes, you could get seasick. It's unlikely, but if you do, it's easily remedied. Whereas first-time cruisers really don't understand the scale of cruise ships, and to some extent, no, no offense to any first-time cruisers out there, don't quite understand how they work in that sense. What I mean by that is they don't understand that going on a cruise ship is not like going on a fishing boat, that the movement of the ocean is very different, the cruise ships have stabilizers, and so the likelihood of you getting motion sick is pretty low. Now, I'm talking about purely on a generalized basis. Obviously, some people are more receptible to it than other people, so this is not here to tell you that there's no chance of it. But I really do believe people that cruise a lot would not list getting seasick as a top concern for them. I certainly don't because when you go ice skating, you know, you're worried about falling, right? But after you go, you might know that if you fall, it doesn't really matter as much. If this metaphor makes sense, then this is kind of along the same lines, like, when you're brand new to something, 
I think you just tend to gravitate towards the worst case scenarios because your brain is trying to anticipate, okay, what are the possibilities that you're going to encounter? But once you're experienced with it, then you realize these so-called worst case scenarios really aren't that bad. And I think as you cruise more often, getting seasick is something that could happen, but is not likely to happen. And if it does happen, it's easily remedied. Again, over-the-counter medications, a patch behind the ear, homeopathic options that are out there. There's a variety of choices for you. Number four, cruise prices are a game. Yes, absolutely true. Man, when you first book a cruise, I don't think I ever really paid any attention to the pricing, the nature of pricing. Like, and I'm really struggling to remember how we used to book cruises other than the fact that we would decide one day we're going on a cruise. And then we booked the cruise and that was probably the end of that story as it relates to the price. The price was the price at the time we booked. And for whatever reason, we just didn't really look at the pricing beyond that. But people that cruise all the time will tell you that there's absolutely a game to pricing. You want to book early. You want to be vigilant in checking prices. And you also, equally importantly, don't want to be afraid to walk away. This is a lesson that took me a while to learn because I just wanted to go on a cruise. <laughs> I didn't want to say, no, I'm not going on a cruise. But sometimes, despite all your best efforts, the price just doesn't work with your budget. And you've got to say to yourself, self, I'm not paying top dollar. I'm not breaking my budget. In order to go on the cruise, I'm going to walk away from it. I think when you're new to cruising, number one, you may be completely unaware of the fact that you can reprice cruises up until final payment date, assuming you live in certain countries like the U.S. or Canada. In addition to that, I think you also look at it as kind of like when you buy, I guess, a retail item, right? To some extent, I think most people buy a retail item, they check out, and that's the end of it. I mean, yes, there are you know, stores that have price match guarantees that the item goes on sale like two weeks later, you get the reprice, but I feel like nobody ever does that. At least I don't anyway, um, but that, it is what it is. Whereas cruising, people that cruise a lot are conditioned to track the prices. People that cruise a lot know that one of the best times to get the lowest price is not only to book super early, which is the case, but also to book like the first day cruises become available because they know the prices could oftentimes be among the lowest right there. It is a game. There is an up and down ebb and a flow to the pricing cycle. And I really believe that the more you cruise, the more you'll become attuned to it. And you'll also become more savvy when it comes to pricing. Equally importantly, sometimes you're going to realize the price is just too high. When you're first brand new to cruising, you don't really have a good sense of what is too high, what is too low. Finding out what a good cruise deal is, honestly, is going to be up to somebody else to tell you that. Usually your travel agent, if you were smart enough to use a travel agent, when you first started booking cruises. But when you cruise a lot, you start getting a sense of, oh, this is a good deal. This is a bad deal. This is a great deal and everything else in between. And when you run into maybe a not so great deal, then you start to think to yourself, maybe this is not the right cruise for me or we're going to wait it out. And that's something else that you could do. You know, I have to talk about how important it is to book early. But if you know that the price as it is right now, no matter how you play the game, is going to be out of your budget, well, it's out of your budget. And rather than just saying, well, you know, it's this or nothing, and that very well may be the case, you either you can, you know, walk away from it, consider something completely different in there or something else in between, but don't just book it because, well, it, uh, we're just going to pay any price that's possible. Again, the more you cruise, the more you know that if this one doesn't work out, perhaps there's another option down the road for you, perhaps even the next weekend or something like that. So certainly something to keep in mind. And, you know, the pricing is something that I, I think of all these, by the way, uh, so far we've gone through four of these things that veteran cruisers would tell first-time cruisers. I think number four is probably the one item on this list that I think you could probably learn uh, as a first-time cruiser and adopt 
quickly. The first three, I think, are going to be difficult to understand because you can't be jaded until you're jaded. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. I feel like it's just it's just one of those things. Until you have the experience, you don't have the experience. And number five, and maybe this one you could learn also, is that there are certain kinds of cruises that are a big deal in the cruise industry. Inaugural sailings, transatlantics. These are the kind of cruises that get a lot of attention for people that cruise a lot. In fact, if you were just following along with uh, the Icon of the Seas, an Icon being released the other week, that got a lot of attention because it's a brand new ship. And you know what? That inaugural sailing, the first sailing of Icon in late January 2024, is without a shadow of a doubt going to be dominated by people that cruise a lot. Why? Because it's a party. It is not, it's not an unofficial one. It's not like somebody rang the dinner bell and said, hey, I'm going on this cruise. Anyone else want to join me for it? I mean, on a smaller scale, yes. But inevitably, people that cruise a lot are drawn to these kind of cruises, these mega events, if you will. And this would be inaugurals, transatlantic sailings. You will find a greater collection of people that cruise a lot. Now, someone who's brand new to cruising probably doesn't even pay any attention to these things at all. They might look at a 14-night transatlantic. Why would I do that one? I don't have that kind of vacation time. Or the first sailing of a new ship. They don't even know there's a new ship. Or it's the first sailing. It always amazes me when I go on a first sailing. I remember going on Wonder of the Seas when it was his first sailing in, uh, you know, ever. And there were a lot of people who were first-time cruisers, and it just blew my mind. I was like, wow, did you guys just accidentally stumble upon this? I think in a lot of cases, these people were aware of the fact, maybe through the media. You know, there was a news article, hey, you know, this brand-new ship's going to launch, and they just thought, okay, well, let's just book it, not realizing, of course, that it is a big event. Now, is that a negative thing? No, I don't think any of these are negative things. I think that the fact that there are more cruise veterans on board may be a, a, a difference in the demographic more than anything, meaning you may notice while you're on board that, hey, there's a lot of Pinnacle members on board, or a, a lot of people seem to know each other, and they're not clearly in the same family kind of situation. That could stand out. But I think in looking at this kind of a list, again, these are things that if you are brand new to cruising, other than maybe number four on the list, I think these are just things that you should be aware of and things will evolve. And more to the point, as you cruise, the more often you sail, the more your tastes and approach to cruising will change as well. Because ultimately, I feel like that's just a natural thing. You start out with one idea of what cruising is because you're brand new at it. You are only know what you've seen in you know marketing maybe you read a couple articles here on oakroomblog.com thank you but generally until you experience it yourself it's just not the same thing and after you internalize it then again after a couple sailings i feel like you start to evolve as a cruiser and you will find if you look back on how you used to cruise compared to where you are later on that it's become a different process Let's answer some listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I answer the emails you've sent me. If I can answer your email, send it to matt at rollcrummingblog.com. Matt, M-A-T-T, at rollcrummingblog.com. Hi, Matt. First-time emailer, first-time rollcrumming cruiser. My wife and I are booked on Ovation of the Seas in June 2023 to Alaska. We purchased some of the drink packages through the cruise planner. Trying to save a little bit of money, I got myself a refresher package and my wife a soda package. Now we normally share, now, comma, we normally share coffee drinks and or other smoothies and things like that. But which would I like to know is if we decided to say get one coffee drink for each of us, what are the limits to my refreshment package? Meaning, 
Do they not let you get more than one a day of the same thing? More than one an hour? Is it every 10 minutes or something new? That doesn't seem to be an answer I can find anywhere. Thanks. Yeah, so the answer is uh, when you have the refreshment package, there's no limits. An unlimited drink package. So you can get, it's just one per order. So you would have to stand in line again and get another one, but you could absolutely get multiple in the row. It's not a problem. Keep in mind, by the way, the drink package benefits are for you. So for the coffee, the coffee benefits are for you. Your wife can get as limited sodas as she wants, but you cannot get a coffee and give it to her or share a coffee with her. It's not, that's against the rules. You can certainly buy her a coffee, a la carte, you know, like, hey, I have a, I have a drink package, so my coffee will be included free, however you want to look at it. And then your wife's coffee would be paid for a la carte. You pay the, you know, it'd be charged your CPAS card and, and, and there you go. Um, that, that's basically how to look at it. So make sure you're, you're clear on those rules, but otherwise you can get as many as you want. There's no daily limit. So you're, you're pretty much, uh, it, it's as advertised. Next question is from Jeff. Hi, Matt, trying to plan a cruise in one we like leaving out of um, Port of Miami. Are you familiar with any hotels near the port that will allow us to park there as guests, stay the night with them because it's best to get to the port the day before. Like you always say, cruise for the week, return to the same hotel one night further and then drive home. Good question. I'm actually not a huge fan, Jeff, of the hotel or just like parking at the hotel, especially if it costs more money because I, number one, if you're driving and I drive myself all the time to these ports, I prefer to park at the terminal. Um, I, I, I think that it, it just convenience factor is worth the extra cost, in my opinion. Now, is do, do people disagree with me on this? Oh, yes. But I think that I would rather pay more. People simply, especially when the cruise is over, walk off the cruise, go right to my car and be on my way. Not have to deal with a um, parking shuttle and people. Because shuttles always work on someone else's schedule. And that's really the problem for me more than anything. So that's why I prefer not to do that. So I did an article about this back in June of this year. And I talked about, I did, it was basically the math, but I found uh, three hotels that offer a park and stay rate in which you uh, pay uh, not only for the room, but also they allow you to park your car there for the week. It does cost extra for all these hotels. I have not stayed at these hotels. I don't know if they're any good, but they offer this option. So I'm just giving you them. The three options I found were the Doubletree Biscayne Bay, the Hilton Miami downtown, and the Holiday in Miami International Airport. Now I will say, I said I didn't know any of these hotels. I lied because I didn't actually read the list before I said it to you. The Doubletree Biscayne Bay is fine. I've stayed there before. I liked it. So that's the one option you could do. So thank you for the email, Jeff. Our next email is from Carrie. I'm at going on a Western Caribbean cruise for the second time next year. And last time I went to the seaweed and it was quite noticeable. Oh, the seaweed was quite noticeable in the Western Caribbean. Other times of the year in which the seaweed is better than other times. Thanks for all you do. Yeah, so the uh, sargasm, which is like a seasonal flow of, we call it seaweed, but it's actually seagrass and it comes from Brazil and that area of South America and it flows around the Atlantic and ends up in the Western Caribbean somewhere. Um, I'm not aware of a pattern per se. There's just definitely ebbs and flows to it. Some weeks you go there and it was great and other weeks not so much. I was there, Carrie, in, when I was on Allure of the Seas during Hurricane Ian, we were in Costa Maya and Cozumel and Costa Maya is always where it seems to be the worst and it was very not noticeable at all. And other times we've been there and it's been a real problem. So I don't know that there's, maybe somebody can correct us with if there's actually a season to it or not, but I just feel like it's just the way that the ocean currents go. And it's not like hurricane season in which there are times of the year in which you're guaranteed not to have, you know, seaweed brush up on there. I think it's just a constant issue. Um, the nice thing I will say what they were doing in Costa Maya in the downtown area in Mahawal 
was they had this whole elaborate netting situation that actually kept it offshore, which actually ended up, I think it was a great approach to it because we were there in, I think it was February. And I seem to recall it being a much more of a problem, but back then the, the netting really did make a, make a difference. So that might be something else to consider in terms of where you go. Um, so something to consider there. Thank you, Carrie, for the email. Next email comes to us from Elliot in Washington, DC. My wife and I watch your videos all the time. Very well done and very informative. I was wondering if you had any ideas on what's going on with Royal Caribbean posting the shore excursions. We have a holiday cruise booked in Chapman that's out of Baltimore on December 30th. That goes up to Par Charleston, Port Canaveral, and Cocoa Key. Excursions for the latter two have been posted for a while now, but nothing for Charleston. Have you experienced this and do you have any suggestions? I've gotten this email uh, actually quite a bit from folks uh, it, just in general. Like I'm going on some sailing and I'm not seeing excursions. It could be Falmouth, it could be Charleston, uh, what have you. My advice is a couple of Number one, I don't know anything. Like there's no pattern or like, hey, Elliot, there is a known issue. Wait for this many days. There is never, there's never been a set pattern to when shore excursions show up. So if you're in a situation like Elliot, in which there are no shore excursions or very limited excursions through Royal Caribbean, then you're, you're only record, you have two recourse. One, keep waiting. Number two, book something on your own. And I would at least book something on your own as a backup just to have it, right? Make sure it's refundable. But start looking at shore excursions on your own to book, especially, I mean, in Charleston, my goodness, you're in the United States. I mean, that's, I, I feel like the the risks are incredibly low because as an American, you know, you could, if you were stuck in Charleston, I mean, especially since you were from DC, you could literally drive home from there, right? Um, it's not the end of the world. You're not like in somewhere else. At Falmouth, Jamaica, different story. We'll get to that in a second. But you definitely want to make plans on your own. I would look at shore excursion providers. Maybe it is a tour operator. Maybe it is a, a uh, you know, a guide, like a private guide. Maybe it's just like, hey, I see there's a park over here. It looks kind of nice. Let's just take a tax plan, take a taxi and go on our own. Whatever the case may be, have a plan. If, if you're getting to the point where it's like, okay, we're getting close to our cruise. And I still don't see anything. Then have a plan. Now, if Royal Caribbean adds something later on, great, you're all set. And if not, well, you've already got something there to go. But essentially, there is no rhyme or reason, no um, schedule to when short excursions show up. So the, the the short answer is I don't have any updates for you, Elliot, as to why you're not seeing for your cruise. But um, it, it really does run the gamut. I mean, there's just it, it, it there, <laughs> it's just one of those it is what it is kind of situations. Not the answer you're looking for. But I would plan something on your own just as a backup and then move on from there. Next email is from Shannon. Uh, hi, Matt. Thanks for even reading my questions. I'm a royal fan, royal fan of royal, but I've only sailed on Oasis class ships, which is what's leading me to my questions for you today. Number one, my family of six, kids ages 15, 12, 10, and six, has sailed on Oasis, Allure, and Symphony in that order. Preparing to book us on another cruise for spring break 2023, but the prices and itineraries that interest us are on the smaller, older ships, like Radiance of the Seas from Galveston or Vision of the Seas from Fort Lauderdale. We're sailing again on Symphony in December. Actually, my kid's first time on that ship. Last time we sailed on it, by some miracle, just me and my husband. I'm worried the kids will be bored or that I'll potentially be let down after such fantastic ships like the Oasis class. But there's so much cheaper to go on these older ships. Am I right to worry? So Shannon, I don't know if you listened to last week's episode, episode 474, but I would definitely listen to episode 474 in which we talked about, will you be bored on a smaller slash older ship? And, you know, again, you can listen to that whole episode dedicated all to that. The short answer is no, inherently no. 
Um, the nice thing about those itineraries is you may find yourself spending more time in port. I think you can still have a great time with your kids on there. Just because there isn't an overwhelming amount of activity doesn't mean they're going to have a bad time. Uh, but obviously, you know your kids best and also how they like to cruise. You have the advantage here, Shannon, of having gone on some sailings with them to understand it. But it will be different. There's no doubt about that. I'm not denying, I, I, please do not misunderstand me that you won't be bored, but you also it won't be the same experience. So uh, different, different, not bad, but different. Also, Shannon says, uh, I'm a new travel advisor and I'm organizing a 2023 sailing for on Royal Caribbean for families who have kids with special needs. Royal Caribbean is great with working with special needs. My two criteria are that the departure port has nonstop flights from Salt Lake City and the amenities and the kid care options are top notch. Most parents have told me they want to go someplace warm like the Caribbean. I think Coco Key would be a great stop to include. So I'm looking at Oasis class ships, but I'm wondering if I should be looking at smaller ships as well. Since I haven't been on any and have only read or watched videos about them, can you help me narrow down a couple of good options that might sell from either Galveston or Port in Florida? Ooh, good question, Shannon. I would definitely say the Freedom class. They're not that much smaller, but Freedom class, I would definitely look at that. And the Voyager class. Um, there's a good mix of things over there. I would definitely look at Mariner and Navigator over maybe Voyager, Explorer, or Adventure. Um, but I would ser seriously consider the Freedom class. That would save you a lot of money. And to some extent, the Voyager class. Um, and, and of course, the Quantum class. I don't think you've mentioned those. I didn't see that on your list. But if you haven't, Odyssey, Anthem. In fact, I would really lean, lean heavily towards Odyssey. But that might be a good option for you there. So, Shannon, thank you for the email. And we have time for one more email today. And that is coming to us from Bob Noxious. What a great name. I just booked a cruise on June 2023, Oasis of the Seas. Well, because you said the best time to book a cruise is when you know you want to take a cruise. It's accurate. So I did a, I, so I did and got a great rate with a 30% off sale on my platinum $100 balcony discount. I noticed something with the discounts that I wanted to share. In the receipt breakdown, they're showing the per passenger pricing. For my wife, guest number two, she got 30% off. For me, guest number one, they took $100 off, then gave me the 30% off the remaining balance, effectively turning my $100 balcony credit to a $70 credit balcony credit. It's a save money, but just not as much as I, they would have if they take 30% off first, then the $100 off. Love the show. I listen on my way each day to work. Uh, Bob, this is interesting. And Bob did share a copy of what's there. Number one, there's a running joke among cruise fans called it's Royal Math. Royal Math is a euphemism for, we don't understand it, but it just, it, it is why it is. And just, <laughs> it, you almost laugh at it nervously because it is what it is. Um, how it gets applied in what order. Bob, I wish I could give you a really good answer and say, friend, the reason why it is why it is because of X, Y, and Z. I have no, I have no clue. Um, this would be a situation, number one, you might consider working with a travel agent about it, but I'm not sure they can really give you any more insight in other than that the system applies the discounts the way the system applies the discounts. And um, boy, it's not a great answer, but that's just, I've talked about this week's episode was about things I would tell myself. Uh, or, or a first-time cruiser that a veteran cruiser would say. A veteran cruiser would tell a first-time cruiser, and uh, Bob, you're not a first-time cruiser. I'm just saying this in general. A, first, a veteran cruiser would tell a first-time cruiser, sometimes the Royal Caribbean math makes no sense, but you just got to trust it that it is what it is. And yeah, but the order in which discounts are applied are totally up to Royal Caribbean. And uh, yeah, um, it's just one of those things. So terrible answer, but the best answer I got for you, Bob. Thank you for everybody checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you found it helpful, I would love to hear from you in a future email. You can always email me, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.